Several years ago, I ordered a shipment of invitations for an event we're having at our church, and I was kind of in a hurry to get these invitations in because I was running a little bit behind. And when the box finally came in the mail, I rushed to open it up, and I pulled out the first invitation card and started reading it over just to make sure everything was right. I looked at the name of the event. That was correct. I looked at the location. That was correct at our church. And I looked at the time, and that was all right. And then I looked at the phone number that was on the bottom of that card. And instead of our church's phone number, every single one of those invitation cards in that box had printed on it my personal phone number. <laughs> and I realized that I had ordered something I did not want at all. Have you ever asked for something or ordered something that you realized you didn't want or didn't need? Have you ever wished for something and you realize I had no idea really what I was wishing for? Imagine if all the wishes and requests that you had as a child or teenager came to pass as an adult. Now, what if all that became a reality now? I'd be like, no, I really don't want to live in a house made out of candy. It's not really what I want. <laughs> no, I really don't want to swim in a swimming pool made of Skittles. I really don't want that. Now think about all the things if you had wished for, if they came to pass, you'd look back and be like, I didn't want that at all. I didn't really know what to ask for. I didn't really know what to want. And this is a problem that comes not just from immaturity, not just from ignorance, but this problem of not knowing really what we need, what to ask for, is something that happens in our suffering as well. Because sometimes suffering can slam us down so hard that we don't even know what to pray for. That's where we are in this passage here when Paul is saying, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Remember this section here in Romans 8 begins the topic of suffering. If you look at verse 18, Paul mentions this, this idea of the suffering of this present time, and he's making this statement that will take us all the way to verse 30 in chapter 8. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, these temporal sufferings, they are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. When we look at the present sufferings, the things that you and I face from day to day, and we put them on the scale, our sufferings on one side and our future glory as believers on another, the sufferings become absolutely inconsequential because the glory that awaits us is so immense, it's so great, it's so magnificent. How magnificent is the coming glory? It is this great. It is so great that the entire creation groans for it to come. I mean, how great is this glory as we looked at last time? The glory that awaits us is so great that we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in this hope, Paul writes, we were saved. We were saved for a hope of a glory that completely eclipses any kind of suffering that you can experience. And what is that glory? As Paul is explaining, the whole momentum of the section of Romans 8 is leading toward an explanation of the glory, and it is this. You and I, as believers in Christ, becoming conformed to the image of Jesus, God's Son. That is the glory that awaits us. And without becoming like Jesus, we cannot glorify God. Without becoming like Jesus, you and I cannot take satisfaction in the presence of God like we are intended to. The glory that awaits us, 
The glory that will outweigh present suffering is the glory of our being conformed to the image of Jesus. And it is a glory so great that creation longs for it. It is a glory so great that we ourselves groan for it. And that's why Paul says in verse 26, likewise. And that likewise is saying in the same way that our anticipating that future glory helps us endure our present sufferings, so also the Spirit lends His aid. The Spirit also helps us. How does the Spirit help us? The topic of these two verses is the Spirit's help. The Spirit's help. In your suffering as a believer, the Spirit gives His help. And there are three ways in which this is developed in these two verses. In verse, the first part of verse 26, we learn why we need it. The second part of verse 26 is how the Spirit gives it. And in verse 27, Paul discusses why it's guaranteed. So, the Spirit's help, why we need it, how He gives it, and why it's guaranteed. First of all, why do we need it? Why do we need this help? Look at verse 26. You see the answer? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. It's because of something in which we are weak. What is our weakness? It's a certain inability, and he describes that further on. Here it is. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. What is this weakness? What is this inability in our suffering? It's not the sort of weakness that says, I don't think I could take another step. That's not the sort of weakness here. It's not the sort of weakness that says, I don't know if I can continue to have faith in God's goodness. No, that's not the sort of weakness that's described here. The sort of weakness that Paul is describing, the inability for which we need the Spirit's help, is the weakness that comes when we are on our knees in the middle of suffering and we want to pray to God because we're, we're squeezed by our trial and words don't even come out. We don't even know what to say. We don't even know what to ask for. This is the, the weakness because we wear the blinders of immortality. We, we can't see God's, God's will for our lives. We, we can't see the whole picture. We, we can look at the little puzzle piece, but we can't see the picture on the box. We, we can see the thread right in front of us, but we can't see the whole tapestry of what God is weaving. We can see just the tree, but not the whole forest. And because of our limited perspective, because of our, the blinders on our eyes, we don't, know, we don't know why God is doing this or exactly what to ask God to do in our lives. That's what suffering can do for us. It could slam us down so hard that we come before God and we say, God, I don't even know what to pray for. And what a weakness this is. After all, prayer is supposed to be a place of great comfort, right? Great freedom and release. It's, it's the place where you could take the picture of, of your soul that's filled up with suffering and just pour it out before God. But what if that picture's sealed up? What if the vehicle of prayer just runs out of gas? What if you don't know what to ask for? In his book on prayer, a man named Ole Halsby writes this, I have witnessed the death struggle of some of my Christian friends Pain has coursed through their bodies and souls, but this was not their worst experience. I've seen them gaze at me anxiously and ask, what will become of me when I am no longer able to think a sustained thought nor pray to God? If you've ever been punched in the stomach and you've gotten the wind knocked out of you, you know what it feels like to be suffering so much that you don't even know what to pray for as you ought. 
And that's why we need the Spirit's help, because of this inability. Because of our suffering on the one hand and our ignorance on the other, sometimes we don't even know what to pray for. So what's the solution? Here it is. The Spirit Himself, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, let's look at this word help that you see at the beginning of verse 26. This is the same word that we find in the Gospels when the disciples are in the boats and they get this massive catch of fish. It's so big that their nets are breaking and they call over to their partners in the other boat. They say, hey, come over and help us. What's going on here? They need help with something that they are unable to do on their own. That's the sort of help that the Spirit gives. When we are unable to handle something on our own, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It's the same word that's used of a parent helping a a baby walk, holding that little baby's hands to help it do something that it can't do by itself. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. This carries a tone of urgency and importance. The Spirit represents us to God. You see the words there that the Spirit intercedes for us. And the Spirit feels this strongly because the Spirit is dwelling within us, as we have learned earlier in this passage. The Christian life is life in the Spirit. Sometimes we tend to think of the Spirit as this cold, impersonal kind of force. Not at all. The Spirit is a person. The Spirit, we read of in Ephesians, can be grieved. The Spirit feels strongly our need, and the Spirit helps us in our need. We see how He does this in the latter part of verse 26. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, what are these groanings? If you remember earlier, we've already seen this idea of groaning. So look back in Romans chapter 8. And you look at what the creation does in verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been what? Has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. But not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly. What is this groaning for? Do you remember? It's groaning for our Christ-likeness. It's the sense that you and I, as believers in Christ, are incomplete. We are hoping to be fully like Jesus. And so we groan. It's possible that the groanings referred to here in verse 26 are the groanings of the Spirit. I think it makes more sense to understand the groanings as our groanings. We are groaning in such a way that's too deep for words. Sometimes the desires of our heart, we can't even put them into sentences. And the Spirit takes those groanings and He intercedes for us. This is the help that the Spirit gives. The Spirit comes along and helps us, and He takes our wordless, feeble groans for Christ-likeness, and He translates them into effective eloquence right in the courts of heaven. That's the help that the Spirit gives. When we don't know what to say, when we don't know how to pray, when all we could do is groan, the Spirit takes our groaning and translates them into prayers that are too powerful to be ignored. You know what this feels like on a human level. Have you ever had this experience where you're trying to explain something to someone and you're having a hard time expressing yourself? And maybe your friend is with you and your friend knows you really well and your friend is listening to you and your friend says, I think what you're trying to say is, 
and your friend just starts talking, and you're like, exactly. That's what I was trying to say. I couldn't have put it that way myself, but now that you say it, yeah, you know me well enough, and you know what I was trying to say. I was having a hard time, and you said it exactly. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us on an infinitely bigger scale. The Holy Spirit knows us, and the Holy Spirit knows the will of God. When all we could do is groan, when we're not even talking in sentences, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness because we often don't even know what to ask for. And He takes those feeble groans and translates them into intelligent and intelligible sentences, petitions. We understand that it is the Holy Spirit in the first place who teaches us to cry, Abba, Father. You remember way back in verse 15, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself prompts us to cry to God and the Spirit Himself translates our feeble cries to God in a prayer that will be answered. Notice how, too, this connects with the work of Christ. If you look a little later on in Romans 8, a passage that we're going to get to in a couple weeks, Paul writes in verse 34, "...who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us." So, as believers, we have not only the intercessory work of the Holy Spirit that's propping us up in our weakness, but we also have the intercession of Jesus, the Son of God, who stands at the right hand of God, interceding for us. I mean, what encouragement this gives us in our suffering. Has suffering slammed you down so hard that you don't even know what to ask? Has suffering just knocked the wind right out of you? You have a divine intercessor, the Holy Spirit, and you have God the Son, and they are interceding for you even when you don't know what to ask for. That is tremendous encouragement. Tremendous encouragement that we have. So why do we need help? It's because of our inability to know what or how to pray. And how does this help come? It comes in the intercession of the Spirit. He translates our groans that are too deep to be uttered into petitions that are too powerful to be ignored. And third, why is this guaranteed? Why is this guaranteed? Look at verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The reason why the Spirit's prayers are guaranteed, the reason why when the Spirit takes your groanings in your suffering and translates them into petitions before God, they're guaranteed because those petitions are completely in line with the will of God. The Spirit knows the will of God, and God knows the mind of the Spirit. Here's how this works. The mindset that you and I have now is the mindset of the Spirit. We already saw this in the first few verses of Romans 8, that as people who have been saved, as those who are in Christ, we don't walk according to the flesh, we don't live according to the flesh, but we have a new mindset, and that is the mindset of the Spirit. And God knows the mindset of the Spirit, and so as God looks into the hearts of believers, He sees the mind of the Spirit, and what is the mind of the Spirit? It is desires that are in line with the will of God. And so with the Spirit in our hearts interceding for us, God reads our prayers, now translated by the Spirit, as perfectly aligned with His will. Someone has put it this way, and I think this very helpfully encapsulates what's going on here, is that God will give you only what you would have asked for if you knew everything 
that he knows. God, as a believer, if you're a believer and you're praying, even if it's just groaning, feeble groaning, not put into words, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. If you have every desire for you, he has. In that way, your prayers are perfectly aligned with the will of God. A story is told of, of a young Irish girl named Amy, and Amy wanted to have blue eyes and blonde hair, but Amy had dark hair and brown eyes. And she looked around her there in Ireland, and she saw so many blue-eyed, blonde-haired friends, and, and she would pray every night before she went to bed, God, please change my eyes to be blue and my hair to be blonde. And she'd wake up in the morning and run to the mirror and look in the mirror, and staring back at her would be those brown eyes. Little did Amy know that at age 20, God would call her to be a missionary. And that later on, she would serve the Lord as a missionary in India. And for 55 years, Amy Carmichael would work among those people in a place where blonde hair and blue eyes would be more of a distraction, where God used her brown eyes and brown hair in helping her witness to many people and share the gospel with countless children. You see what God is doing. He is answering her prayer, giving her what she would have asked for if she knew everything God knew. And later on, Amy Carmichael would write this poem, And shall I pray thee, change thy will, my Father, until it be according to mine? No, Lord, let that never be. Rather, I pray thee, blend my human will with thine. another illustration even more powerful and from Scripture is from the life of the Apostle Paul. We're in Romans chapter 8, and as an illustration, I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, great seer of visions, receiver of revelation, was given what, he, what was called a thorn in the flesh. And some people have speculated about this thorn. Some people have said this thorn must have been poor eyesight. Some people said this was some chronic sickness. Some people have even said this thorn was a Satan-inspired man who was trying constantly to discredit Paul's apostolic ministry. We don't know exactly what this thorn was, and I, I'm glad that we don't, because it, if we knew what it was, it might cloud our understanding of this passage. We do know that it was something ongoing because he pleaded three times that it would be removed from him. We know that it was physical because he says that it was in the flesh. It was humbling. He says it was to keep him from being conceited, that it harassed him, that it did have a satanic origin, and that it was so severe that he calls it a thorn, like, like a splinter embedded beneath the skin something that you want to get out as soon as you can. And so severe that he pleaded with the Lord that it should leave him. And what did Paul do? Paul asked God to take it away from him. Look at verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. Lord, please take this thorn away from me. 
and silence. Heaven seems as hard as brass. Lord, I've asked you once, I'm going to ask you again, please take this thorn from me. But there is no answer, and it seems like Paul's voice echoes into an empty cave. Lord, I've asked you twice. This thorn really hurts. Lord, please take it away. It's painful. I hate it. It's been with me for a long time. Don't I deserve this? Aren't I serving you? I mean, I'm doing my best for you. Is it too much for me to ask you to take this thorn away from me? And again, there is no answer, but the Spirit of God was helping Paul in his weakness because he didn't know what to pray for as he ought. But the Spirit Himself was interceding for him with groanings too deep for words. And the Spirit was giving the answer that Paul would have asked for if he knew everything that God knows. So did God answer Paul's prayer? We, we might say, well, no, Paul still had the thorn, but God did better than that. God took Paul's request and turned it into something more wonderful than he could have imagined. It's as if God was saying, Paul, you thought you needed the thorn gone. And I understand why you think that, because that thorn is painful, and it's been there for a long time. But in fact, Paul, here's what you really need. You need to understand something more about the grace of God. In fact, Paul, here's what you really need. You, you thought you needed the thorn gone in a way? Here's what you really need. You need to understand something about the sweetness of depending on Christ. You thought that you needed the thorn gone, but really, here's what you need. You need to boast all the more gladly because of your weakness. You need to learn something about contentment. You need to learn something about the joy that can be found in Christ alone, even despite your suffering. And so, what does Paul say here? He says, but he said to me, this is verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that, brothers and sisters in Christ, is exactly what God does for you when you don't know what to pray for. The Spirit of God takes your groanings too deep for words, and He gives you the very answer that you would have asked for. If you know everything God knows, if you have every desire that God has, and if you could see the whole picture like God does. And at some point, whether in this lifetime or in the lifetime to come, you'll look at those requests and you'll hear the spirits interceding and you'll say, exactly, that's exactly what I would have said. Just like a friend expressing, trying to express yourself and helping you understand what you're saying, that, that is exactly what I really wanted. I, I thought that I wanted to be free from my loneliness right now. I, I thought that I wanted to be out from under the burden of the sickness. I thought my child needed to be healed right now or that my financial situation needed to be solved right now. But, but, but it, that's, it is exactly what I needed. 
because it's exactly what God wanted me to go through to understand something more about His grace and more about His love and more about His mercy and more about the sweetness of Christ and the joy that can be found only in Him. That is what the Spirit does for you. He helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and He who knows the mind of the Spirit is the one who understands the longings of our heart, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And what is God doing? And what's the point of all these an- the answers to prayer? What is it that the Spirit is praying for? It is what Paul goes on to say, that God is working all things for good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And if you're a believer in Christ, that is what God is doing in your life right now. He is making you more like Jesus. And that is the glory that outweighs any present suffering. 